This is Jim Fleming. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Stuart Heights or more about our class, or if you'd like to leave us some feedback, you can do so at teachings.jim314.com. Enjoy the lesson. All right, Stuart Heights, let's welcome our world changers this morning. Thank you all for being here. So welcome to Sunday School. If you've got your Bibles, hopefully you do, open up to Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter 2, but we're going to start in 1 and kind of work our way to 2. Uh, This is week 9 of our series, so we'll start in Colossians 1 and read through. So if you've got your Bibles, Colossians 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it is also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your minds by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching Every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance and understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. So that is what we have looked at. So we're big fans of the Bible in this classroom, by the way. So we just like to read a lot of text, because there's nothing that I will say this morning that will outweigh what we just read. You can say amen if you want to there. There we go. All right. So today's text, uh, this, this section, uh, verses uh, 11 through 23, uh, we're only going to do 11 through 15 or so today, but there's a togetherness in today's text. Uh, believers are in Jesus and with Jesus. You're going to see these phrase, this phrase over and over and over. In Him and with Him. We're buried with Him, raised with Him, alive with Him, victorious in Him. Christian life is all about Jesus. So let's look at our text today. Verses 11 through 15. In Him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed the principalities and powers, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So in verse 11, we jump right in to this word that starts with a C that is really uncomfortable with all kinds of different ages in the room. So we're not going to go into a lot of detail on that today because that would be awkward. There is, however, a website address. Yes, you can laugh. It's all right. There's a website address at the very bottom of that page. At the bottom of that page are all the notes for all the series that I've taught for the last probably seven or eight years. And the teacher version of these notes goes into some more detail, and that is age-appropriate for those that can navigate to that. So I will refer you to that portion of the Internet. But I will tell you, you may be wondering why all of a sudden we are talking about circumcision in the middle of this lesson of the Colossians. And if you go back to Ryan's, it's all about Ryan's. <laughs> Where am I going, guys? <clears throat> the sneeze guard buffet. All right, so Paul writes each one of his letters for a particular reason. There's encouragement, there's uh, correction, there's uh, shout-outs, there's sometimes just, hey, so-and-so's doing a great job, we just need to commend them for it. Well, the, the theological problem that the Colossians were dealing with was a buffet style of philosophy and theology. You had all these different things going on, and the, the teachers of the day would say, I'd like a little of this, and I'd like a little of this, and I'd like a little of this. And my, those of you that are visiting, my Sunday school class knows that I hate Ryan's Buffet. Just any place that needs a sneeze guard, I'm just, I'm backing away, not interested. So, so you have this buffet of theology and philosophy that they're picking from. And one of the things that was extraordinarily popular at this point in history, and, and still is, is saying that all of the Old Testament law still applied to the New Testament believer. And the only problem I have with that is the Bible says it doesn't. Yes. And we say, amen, amen. right, because I like bacon <laughs> on Saturday <laughs> that my daughter and wife cook. 
None of which is possible in the Old Testament law. All that just fight, this is a bad problem. It's a bad problem. So, So we have this philosophy where the Judaizers, the Jews, had snuck in and were teaching that you have to keep the law. And circumcision was part of keeping the law. So your first blank, circumcision was required of the Old Testament law uh, for Jewish men. And observing that law has and always will be a common tactic of false teachers. So that in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hand. So this is not the physical. We are not talking about the physical. By putting off, and this is basically... um, Setting aside, this, this word, we actually think Paul coined this word. It shows up nowhere else in any first century writings. It's kind of like, well, that's cool. Paul made up a few Greek words of his own. So, Because when you need, so we cannot let Gary know this, that Paul made up words. Amen. Right? Because he will then have theological justification for his awful PowerPoints. So we, we cannot let him, we cannot let him know this. All right? I went there. That's right. Yes. I went there. That's right. So what, what made... Yes, we definitely need to take, take this out of the podcast. Um, when I was thinking through this week, I was like, really? He made up words? No. And it, it crossed my mind, what if, the, what if the believers of that time teased Paul about making up... I thought, I'm not going to go there. I just I can't keep going. All right. By putting off the body of sins of the flesh. And this is not just a little bit of skin. This is the whole body of sins of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ. So, so here's your next blank. Christ cuts away spiritually dead flesh and replaces it with new life. Because Jesus always takes things from death to life. It is always better with Christ. It is better with Christ and in Christ. And this is pictured in baptism. So he moves into verse 12, buried with him or buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Buried with him in baptism, raised to... Yes, yes. This is kind of where we get some of that phraseology. Some of it is tradition. Some of it is actually just straight out of Scripture. So uh, I'm going to get an extended quote here from uh, Robertson, but I'll give you the quote from Gazik. Uh, Paul says that these Gentile Christians find their true circumcision in baptism. Here's your blank. Christians don't need to be circumcised. They need to be baptized. Yes. So buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised together. This is a, a collective word. It's, it's a word uh, more than one was raised. With him through faith in the working of God. Now, this, this word working is the Greek word uh, energia is where we get our word energy. But it's, it's more than just energy that exists. It is energy that exists to actually do something. Your blank is accomplishing something. It is more than, great, there's a power plant somewhere that's generating power. Who cares? I don't care. That power exists to turn the lights on, to power our devices, to, to power this sound system that is working right now. This word is the power that is actually doing something. It's not power that's just sitting on the shelf. It's power that is actively working in the world. So the God who raised Jesus from the dead and you. So who's he talking to? Specifically, who's he talking to? Who's the you? The Colossians. Who else is the you? It's us. We're believers too and we're in the New Testament. This is translated to us. So and you being what, what tense is being? I need an English scholar. Is there perhaps an English scholar in the room? There's not an English scholar? She's on vacation. Darla, it is the present tense, yes. Being is the present tense. So being, what's the next word? 
Did you know you were dead? You're dead. It's actually a really good thing. It is a really good thing. Because if you're not dead, you can't be raised to new life. Because as long as I am arrogant about my own life and my own past and my own sin, I'm not dead. When I acknowledge that I am dead in my sin, then what can happen? I'm dead in my trespasses. Wesley has, I think, the most beautifully awkward quote of all the commentaries that I read this week. He says, this is a beautiful expression for original sin. Um, You're going to have to go online to get the blank because it's no longer appropriate with a uh, variety of ages in the room. So that's your homework. Uh, Dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together. So this word for uh, raised is raised together. This word for alive is alive together with him. Now I want you to understand something. We sometimes present the gospel as something that sick people need to be well again. And that is one analogy that, it, that can be used. But a better analogy, here's your, here's your quote. Before a person comes to new life in Jesus, he is not a sick man who needs a doctor. He is a dead person who needs a savior. It is not a, oh, I'm a little feeble, my foot's dragging, I'm hurting over here. No, 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 no. I'm laying on the stretcher in the back of the ambulance, dead. Jesus is not my co-pilot. He's driving the ambulance. I'm in the back on a stretcher. That's the way this works, right? So, alive together. Alive together. He has forgiven you. How many of your trespasses? How many? I'm thankful for the all. Because he could have said some. He could have said, I'm going to beat you over the head with those few that you're really struggling with, and I'm going to remind you about those every single day. No, that's the devil's work. Because Jesus handles it all. All. He has forgiven you all your trespasses. Verse 14, having wiped out. And I want to, I want to talk about this word for a minute. There's two words I really want to spend some time on. This is one of them. Having wiped out. This word literally means... To anoint over, A-N-O-I-N-T, to anoint over. So I have a question, and I know there's at least one person here that's done this. Has anybody ever anointed someone with something in a theological setting? Has anybody ever done this? Davis, yes? Yes? You've been anointed. Excellent. So I want you to tell me, I want you to tell me what you were anointed with or what you anointed someone with. Oil. Oil. Oil, oil. How was it applied? Fingers, forehead. Fingers, fingers, fingers. Read the text. I have no words here. What did he do? Having wiped out or anointed the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Jesus used his fingers to take care of our sin. This is what the word means here. It is a beautiful picture, a beautiful picture of him being directly involved. I'll give you a little history here on old school parchment. This is from Barclay. The substance on which ancient documents were written was either papyrus, a kind of paper made in the pith of the bulrush, or vellum, a substance made of the skins of animals. Both were fairly expensive and certainly could not be wasted. Ancient ink had no acid in it. It lay on the top of the surface of the paper, and it did not, as modern ink usually does, bite into it. Sometimes a scribe, to save paper, used papyrus or vellum that had already been written upon. And when he did that, he took a sponge and wiped out the writing. 
because it was only on the surface of the paper. The ink could be wiped out as if it had never been written. Here's your blank. God, in His amazing mercy, banished the record of our sins so completely that it was as if it had never been written. Not a trace remained. He just took it away, and He did it with His own hands. I love it. You want to talk about a God who gets involved? That's a God who gets involved. So this handwriting... This handwriting, this is uh, anything that describes a legal document would have fallen into this place. The modern day, here's another quote for you. The modern day version of this, it's almost exactly what we would call an IOU. An IOU, that's your next blank. So this idea that I've got some debt that I've signed off, that the person I owe has signed off, and Jesus comes along and he just erases that. He erases this. So this handwriting of requirements, and then the requirements is the law, that was against us. Now, did Jesus ever have anything physically written that accused him of something? We all know the answer to this, but you're not thinking about it that way. Go to John chapter 19, verses 19 and 20. Did Jesus ever have anything physically written that accused him of something? The what? The sign over the cross. Yes. Who wrote the sign over the cross? <laughs> Bible trivia here. This is a tough one. I'm not telling you. It's in John 19. You have to go look it up. John 19, 19 and 20. What does it say? Jesus of Nazareth. The That's what he was accused of. Now, here's the interesting thing. Was that true or false? Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of the Gentiles, too. (laughs) King over the whole universe, over everything. And they took what was accused against him, and they nailed it to his cross. And what does he do for us? He takes what is accused against us, and he nails it to his cross. It is beautiful. It is, and in this act, in this crucifixion, Jesus proves his accusation to be true. And he deals with ours so that we don't have to. It is spectacularly beautiful. It is spectacularly beautiful. Now, this handwriting of requirements, which was contrary to us. Now, this contrary to us means it's in the imperfect tense. Anybody know what the imperfect tense means? This is the one I always forget when I'm studying, because I was a math major. English, there's books for that, right? You can go look it up. Um, sorry. Uh, you don't teach imperfect anymore, right? What is imperfect? Anybody know? It means repeated action. That's your blank. Repeated action. This word contrary means opposed. It means an adversary. It means against. So this law that constantly comes and says, you don't measure up. You don't measure up. You are guilty. You are guilty. You are guilty. You are guilty. You are every single day. The law says you are guilty. Jesus takes that. He nails it to the cross. And this this word. And he has taken. That's in the. I know we're doing a lot of grammar here today. That is in the perfect tense. This means. This means uh, an action which is viewed as having completed in the past. Here's your blank. Once and for all, not needing to be repeated. Boom. It's like Jesus' mic drop. He nails the handwriting of the ordinances to the cross. He deals with it once, and it is done. It is done. It is beautiful. He, he, take, he took it 
out of the way. So where did he take the sin of the world? He took the sin of the world to where? Your blank is what? You all know the blank at this point because I've told you like six times. Where did he take it? Took it to the cross, absolutely. He took it to the cross. Sin is no longer an issue in our relationship. And having nailed it. Another, way to, another word for nailed um, is spiked. I get football imagery here, sorry. I know that theologically it's just wrong. You, just, you cannot make this comparison. But it just feels like he's running the ball across and he just spikes it and it's like, yep, we're done. It's fantastic. He just deals with it. That's it. He's completely done. He nailed it to the cross. Verse 15, having disarmed. Anybody have a different word in your translation than disarmed? There should be two or three other words used here. Anybody other than disarmed? It's what? Spoiled. Despoiled even, which I don't even know what despoiled means, right? But the word spoils in there, I know what that means. Anybody else? Stripped off, that's a good one. <clears throat> Have you ever watched a sporting event and you're just convinced that one team is going to win and then right at the last second, everything just kind of flips around on its head and, oh, oh. You ever watch that? It's fun when it's your team, right? And it's heartbreaking when it's your team that got flipped around on and you've been celebrating all game and then, yeah, just not. Because when Jesus is hanging on the cross, who does it look like is winning? Looks like the Romans and the devil are winning, right? Because there he is. I have taken your king. I have taken your God. I have taken this man and crucified him. Rome won, Jesus zero. But that's not exactly how things work in theological space. Because sometimes in theological space, what looks to be going one way is actually going another way. Because three days later, something really cool happened. Three days later, Jesus said, death can't touch me. And we say, praise the Lord for that. Because that changed everything. See, he took the cross... And what did he do? Having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle. Another word for spectacle is an exhibit. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Flip over to 1 Corinthians 2.8. Triumphing over them in it. So in the cross, Jesus triumphs. And you're like, well, it doesn't look triumphant, does it? I mean, it really, it really looks messy. It looks awful. It looks like we have lost. It's a bad day. Not quite. What does 1 Corinthians 2.8 say? Say that again for me. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. Because they thought in the crucifixion that they were winning. And in reality, in the crucifixion, they were putting the almost final stone in place of the plan of God. But Jesus is going to take that stone and roll it away in a couple of days, so it wasn't a big deal. Because even when you think you have beaten God, you have not. He will take what we oppose him with and he will use it to glorify himself. And it's just one of the things that God does. 
It is a spectacularly beautiful thing. So he takes this crucifixion, this bloody, messy, horrible thing, and he triumphs in it over them. So you say, Jim, what's the point? I'm glad you asked. The point is, number one, application, my Christianity is all about Jesus, right? Because I'm in him, I'm with him, it's for him, it's about him, it's by him, it's through him, and at the end of all things, it's still going to be all those things. So what do I do with that? Well, publicly proclaim him. Publicly proclaim him. Point number two, the believer can do nothing without Jesus, because did, did I correct the error of my fleshly sin. Who did that? Jesus did that. Did I, did I raise myself to new life? Nope. Who did that? Did I triumph on the cross? No. Nope. Jesus did. He made an exhibit out of them on the cross. So what do I do with that? Well, number two, publicly proclaim him. There may be a theme here. <clears throat> and then number three, when Jesus wins, he wins publicly. Like, really publicly. As in, the whole universe will understand that Jesus wins. Because he doesn't just win small things, he wins the entire war. And this week, in Chattanooga, it looks like evil has dealt a blow. And I am here to tell you that Jesus wins. And the answer to this is to publicly proclaim Him. We will, be, we will have opportunities to get distracted on thousands of different things that in the history of the universe will not matter. Piper's got a quote. He says something like, at the end of all things, all the kings and the rulers of this world will be footnotes in history because everything is about the exaltation of Jesus Christ. So we have an opportunity to either be consumed with evil or to elevate and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. I choose Jesus. I hope you will too. Amen? All right, that's the lesson for today. Now, at the middle of your tables, and here's what I need, guys, in red shirts... I need y'all to come and sit with folks over here because they have pieces of paper in the middle that you all need to see. So if you want to take your chair, you can, or if you want to just come and stand, you can, either one. But everybody in the red shirt over there needs to come and kind of filter in over here. So guys, let's make some room. And on your weekly update is an opportunity to share prayer requests. So let's write down your prayer requests. We're friendly, I promise. My name's Jim. It's good to meet you. Good to meet you. Paul? Byron. Byron. There we go. That'll work. These people right over here are really friendly. I promise. So before you start with your prayer requests, before you start with your prayer requests, I have something I want to read for you. I found a hymn written in 1862 that summarizes today's lesson pretty well, I think. I'm going to read this for you. This is See the Conqueror by Christopher Wordsworth. Give me a sec, guys. See the Lord ascends in triumph, conquering king in royal state, riding on the clouds his chariot to his heavenly palace gate, 
Hark the choir of angel voices, joyful alleluias sing, and the portals higher lifted to receive their heavenly King. Who is this that comes in glory with the trump of jubilee, Lord of battles, God of armies? He has gained the victory. He who on the cross did suffer, he who from the grave arose, he has vanquished sin and Satan. He by death has spoiled his foes. While he lifts his hands in blessing, he is parted from his friends. With their, while their eager eyes behold him, he upon the cloud ascends. He who walked with God and pleased him, preaching truth and doom to come, he, our Enoch, is translated to his everlasting home. Now with heavenly Aaron enters with his blood within the veil. Joshua now is come to Canaan, and the kings before him quail. Now he plants the tribes of Israel in their promised resting place. Now our great Elijah offers double portion of his grace. He has raised our human nature on the clouds to God's right hand. There we sit in heavenly places. There with him in glory stand. Jesus reigns adorned by angels. Man with God is on the throne. By our mighty Lord's ascension, we by faith behold our own. I wish we wrote like that still, but we don't, but that's okay. So I'll remind us of it. 150 years later, there's still good stuff. So lean in, engage. If you're wearing a red shirt, I would love to help pray for something for you this week. So tell us your name. Tell us how we can pray for you this week. Stuart Heights, we're going to focus on the red shirt folks today. All right? Thank you all for coming. Thank you.